3: Here is your
2: host, Derek Welcome to another episode of Astro Radio Z as always I'm your host Derek Carey and uh, this episode going to be a little different from most of them because this is kind of last minute due to some uh, unforeseen things that happened in the last couple days uh, so I brought on Uh, My good friend and old host of Astro Radio Z, Corey J. Udler, to come on and talk about the untimely passing of the amazing John Fasano, who we had on the show early last year to talk about a couple films that both of us love dearly, Rock and Roll Nightmare and uh, Black Roses. Obviously, he did a lot more than that, but these are two seminal films that I think shaped us in a very profound way. So, uh, Corey, Corey, how are you doing tonight?
3: I'm, I'm good. Like, you know, like you said, this kind of, uh, you know, the news kind of came out of nowhere, um, you know, about John and I was actually, excuse me, I was online and I had read a, uh, just a post from Heather Buckley who uh, does, uh, some writing. I, I had a chance to meet her at Cinema Wasteland last time we were there and, uh, blade at her in stitches of course he's got that uh that that effect on people mm-hmm. um, but I was able to kind of connect with her and she you know she's a writer and um you know very involved in the in the horror community and things and she's she's great but she posted something up about it and I I you know of course uh couldn't believe it at first you know I mean John was I mean 50 what 50, 53 years old
2: and uh, years old
3: yeah. I mean, that's that's extremely young it's way too young, and um, you know I couldn't believe it. But yeah, and then you know before I knew it, all of the other horror sites and a uh, bunch of other people that I knew, uh, you know, kind of started talking about it. And uh, yeah, I mean it was a, a, you know a real shock. But I guess he just passed away uh, Saturday night. Um, from from what I've been able to gather, it sounds like he just went to sleep. Mm-hmm.
2: Probably a heart attack in his sleep. Huh.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean you know, real, real sudden. I mean, John wasn't sick to to my knowledge or or anything. And I had actually, um, you know, my last, uh, correspondence with John was just a couple of weeks ago because I was reading an old issue of, uh, G fan, the Godzilla fanzine. Mm-hmm. And, um, John did a lot. John, John had done the, uh, the cover art and this was an issue that had come out before the new movie. So it was kind of a conceptual piece that, that he did. Um, as to what the new Godzilla would kind of look like. And it was just a beautifully uh, drawn cover. And I, I sent just John a quick message. And I said, oh, my God. I said, you know, I, I just picked up the, you know, the latest G fan. I, I just got a chance to read it. And I saw your name was in the credits on there. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I got to draw that. And I was like, oh, very cool, you know. And, and that was the extent of it. And that was, you know, just several weeks ago. And, uh, you know, I, I never expected uh, to get that news of all people.
2: Yeah, I don't I I don't think anyone did because, John, over the course of this last year, probably more so in the last six months or so, has been kind of road showing Rock and Roll Nightmare and Black Roses again, where all of these uh, venues and conventions and festivals want to show those films. I think they're finally starting to get that cult audience that I mean, there always was a cult audience because obviously you and I are included in this. But I I think that those two films are finally starting to see, you know, their time. And I think people are finally starting to appreciate them for what they are and what what subsequently they did to that genre. And um, I know he was I had read um, today on some post that he was scheduled to do a screening of Rock and Roll Nightmare either today or tomorrow.
3: Yeah, in Portland, I think. And I think John Michael Thor was was gonna be there with him.
2: Yeah. So the when nobody heard back, I mean, I think that's when the, the news started trickling out there about what had happened and um obviously the outpour started coming out because uh in the scene of, you know, low budget exploitation cinema, I mean these films are are legendary. I, I think a lot of film a lot of people uh, historically have kind of dismissed them as, as being trash. And I think you still see that a lot as I was reading a lot of posts, there are still a lot of people out there. It's just like, well, this is, this is horrible to hear, but those movies are bullshit. Um, and it's, it's sad to hear that because I think, you know, you and I both, and you, you you'll hear this later in this episode, which I'm going to basically replay um, an episode that you and I did with John last year where we interviewed him and and basically gushed all over him about his movies <laughs> for for yeah. an hour or so. Uh, but there, there's a lot more in that. But because he gets into you know how he was an animator, how he loved to draw and loved big monsters and like you said Godzilla and stuff like that. And uh, just talking with him and and through the course of that interview, you you kind of can grasp what a humble and. Um, receptive person he was towards fans he he didn't look down on them he understood what his movies were and how they were received and even though for the most part he got a lot of fans because of the ridiculousness and maybe the ironic it's so bad. It's good factor of like John Michael Thor in the the epic con- conclusion of Rock and Roll Nightmare. Right. Um, he, he acknowledged that more than likely that's why people were liking these movies, but he still was very appreciative of them and of oh, okay. anyone that actually, you know, came and, and professed, you know, gratitude towards these films.
3: Well, and John, you know, and, and you were talking kind of, you know, how people ironically like the movies. I never ironically, that, that, that's always been the thing for me is I got into, you know, these crazy weird movies because, you know, you and I, you know, we're basically the same age and, you know, the same interests and, and, and things and grew up basically in the same city. Mm-hmm. Um, and but didn't know each other. But had no idea. We had to have crossed paths or, you know, sometime I had gone to the store and got mad that uh, Robot Jocks was out. And I guarantee you probably had it.
2: Yeah, I probably Uh, did.
3: Back at the house. But, you know, I never ironically liked any of this stuff. I mean, I I love Black Roses. You know, when I first had seen it, it was that VHS cover. It was that 3D cover, which we go into on the show, too. We kind of talked to him about that. Um, you know, that's, you know, and now with the VHS collection boom going on now, that's a, a very popular sought after take guys love yep. that, you know I mean? Yep. That's that and the, the Frankenhooker talking box and the dead pit with the glowing eyes. I mean, when you think of that stuff, you think of that 3d black roses and Absolutely. that was a movie that I watched and it's got a sense of humor and it's got great music and it's fun, and it really doesn't take itself too seriously. The practical effects are are, are a treat, um, you know. And it was it came out at a time that I was into heavy metal, you know what I mean. And and everybody mm-hmm. was demonizing it. It was the Tipper Gore and the PMRC, and you know John just tapped into that so beautifully. I mean, it it really truly is a snapshot of my childhood. Yeah. And. And I always love that movie, and that's a movie that I revisit like a tourist—you know, a half a dozen times a year at least.
2: Yeah, there, I've I've seen Rock and Roll Nightmare um, so many times throughout my life, and uh, subjected so many people to it, and and for the most part, most people are receptive because the, they they get what it is. And I think that's, that's why these movies endure is because there's a gleefulness behind them. They're not mean spirited. They're, they're, they're there to have fun with, you know, and celebrate this music, um, that I think a lot of people, you know, just kind of toss aside as, you know, this glam type stuff. And honestly, I, I, I grew up with that shit. So I loved it. I, you know, John Michael Thor, he, he's such a presence on screen And, and black roses is just such an amazingly fun, unpretentious film.
3: Um, That's all it ever was. And John, you know, to his credit, made those movies. I mean, you know, I I think he only has a half a dozen or so directing credits. I know that he had done a movie um, with Lou Diamond Phillips, uh, you know, a couple of TV movies, but John, his career has spanned you know, 30 plus years. I mean, he was, he's a writer. He wrote another 48 hours with Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte. I mean, he was, uh, you know, writing some of the, he wrote one of the sniper movies and the, uh, uh, the, uh, Dark yes, Balls. yeah. And, and universal soldier, you know, and he was a, a writer for a lot of TV stuff. So John made, you know, a great career out of doing all kinds of different things. And, and a lot of it was fantasy um, you know, or or horror in some way, but he did a lot of action movies. Um, you know, writing and producing and things. So John's got you know a, a laundry list of credits, and he was a working man's uh, writer, director, producer, and you know he he genuinely seemed uh, thrilled. You know, when we talked to him, right. you know, that that we that we weren't coming at the, the, the two movies, Black Roses and Rocket Roll Nightmare. I mean, we weren't coming at it going, geez, John, what, where the hell was going on in these movies? What were you thinking? Right. You know, I think he could tell that, you know, these genuinely meant a lot to us and, you know, leading, you know, past that. And, you know, we talked about this before we started recording, but you know, you and I kind of, as we went along, we took it to a, a little bit, our love of it. And of course, John's, uh, kindness and and, and is being receptive to us and ideas and things, we, we took it to a, a, a different level as far as we could with the idea that we had.
2: Yeah. And this is something that we're not going to get too, too into, because obviously if, if it were to ever come to fruition, we don't want to let the cat out of the bag completely. But um, you and I have, have been making on and off for the last two years, an anthology film called hole in the wall. Right. And uh, because of this, uh, you and I have decided, well, let's go ahead and let's try making another feature. And we had been tossing around a lot of ideas back and forth. Could we do a dark superhero movie? Could we do a gritty Texas Chainsaw Massacre style flick? And then it all, all of a sudden dawned on me one day, it's just like, dude, let's make a heavy metal uh, horror film. And the moment that we decided we were going to do that, We started pulling together a story and then all of a sudden we were like, Hey, we know John. Why don't we for shits and giggles pull together a treatment for a black roses too. And uh, over the course of a few weeks, it came together so fast. Oh yeah. Like lightning fast. Like you and I were on the same page. It was just like we knew these movies because originally it was just going to be Black Roses Two, and then I was like, "Well, hey, let's tie in both films, Rock and Roll Nightmare and Black Roses Two, and and try to make this a spiritual successor to both of those films." Yeah. And um, so we we pulled together our resources. We were contacting John Michael Thor, and we contacted a bunch of other people, and we we pulled we put this treatment together for Black Roses too, and because we had done this episode with John and you and I outside of the episode we're still chatting with John on and off because he's he is such a nice genuine guy and a fan of you know some of the stuff that that we're into but he was very receptive to always wanting to chat we got a hold of him and we we tossed him our our idea and uh he's a busy dude so you got to expect it was going to take a little while to get back to us but and he did. And, um, what would you say, how, what was the reception, uh,
3: Corey from that, what I that he gave tell, us, you know, I mean, cause I was half expecting him to just be like, Oh yeah, you know, uh, that's fun. Yeah. Thanks guys. Good luck. You know, whatever. But he genuinely really seemed to like where we went with it because, you know, and like you said, don't want to give too much away, but it was, it was picking up so many years later, you know what I mean? Almost like, current day basically. Yeah. Yep. Um, and really taking the story of Black Roses and flipping it on its ear, you know, right. like turning it around so that roles were kind of reversed. That's as far as I'll go with it. Right. Um, and you know, and we and we wanted to get Sal Viviano and 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 everybody else in it and and you know, we wrote this full treatment and sent it to John and John was all about it. I mean, basically from what I remember the conversation going, John was like, do it. You know, he said, make it happen. And then you and I went back and we said, well, shit, who owns it? You know I mean? Cause I knew John didn't own it. So John gave us the name of who owned it. And you know, he, he, I guess, I guess the, the best way I can put it, I won't drop the name of, of who owns it, Um,
2: which I'm sure most people that are in the know already know who that is. So already
3: know. Yeah. Who who has it? So John told us who owned it, told us to get in touch with them, put, put us in contact. So we sent, uh, the, the treatment and everything. And John was in on, on all of this too. Um, John was copied in on everything that we did and, uh, the information got shot back and he shot us back dollar bills was what it was going to take just to get the rights to the name Black Roses and the character names and, and this and that. So that was the roadblock. John shoots back. You know, John knew that it was a, a bullshit amount, um, you know, and it, it, without really saying it, um, you know, but I could, we could tell that, that, you know, he was thinking the same thing we were. And uh, John, the, the last thing really that John said about it, he goes, start a Kickstarter. He goes, make it happen. And you and I just kind of looked at each other like, you know, I mean, you and I work on lunch money to do our stuff and we're yeah. looking at just for the rights. And then to look at another two, three hundred grand to do the movie justice the way it needs to be. Done. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're looking at that going, boy, that is an uphill battle. You know I mean? And, and you know, we probably sold ourselves a little bit short, you know, and having John's blessing. Who knows, man? We, we may have been able to raise that money for that movie, knowing, you know, the fan base that that John has now and had, and the, uh, you know, the way the movies have endured over the years, you know, I, I mean, I don't know.
2: Yeah. I think, you know, uh, it, it's still, I mean, cause you and I have kind of flipped it and decided to go a different direction with it, but still pursue what, what we originally had thought. J- the satisfaction of knowing that, that John took a look at this treatment and literally gave us his blessing. Yeah. It was like so proactive and, and helping us get a hold of the right people and trying to figure this out was, um, very touching.
3: Yeah. It was huge. You know, I mean, for me, cause I've, you know, I've admired John since I was a kid and, you know, to get to know the guy and then, yeah, I mean, cause that's the kind of, for me, I've been lucky because, You know, I've had a lot of that kind of uh, storybook stuff go on for me, you know, to get to know Ted B. Michaels and then to write the movies for Ted B. Michaels and to become friends with Ted over the years and to kind of be a confidant, you know, and and, and just a guy I can just call him anytime and he'll call me anytime and to write movies and see my name up there with Ted in his movies. I mean, it's ridiculous, you know, It's such an accomplishment for me, and it's it's mind blowing. And then to have John's you know blessing on our treatment that we had sent for this Black Roses idea, and I still contend that I love that idea that yeah. we you know that we had for it. It's fu- to me, it's fucking brilliant, you know. But I'm I'm so close to it because I love that movie. Yeah, and I love John's work, and you know I love the, the heavy metal movie genre that he basically created. You know, so I'm I'm really close to uh, close to the treatment, and I would pay uh, any amount of money to see that sequel get made the way that we had it written out. And it's right. not a legal thing; it's just the truth. I just love it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean i I spent the better part of four and a half five years willing Swamphead into existence when the film was basically just down and dead. It was it was basically a dead film, yeah. and I, because I wanted to see that movie so goddamn bad, I. I, I spent way more sweat and tears of my life than I probably should have um, making sure that it it was completed. and think about having that kind of passion towards something that you generally like would be amazingly proud of, like black roses too. I know most people would be like, "What are you talking about? Black roses too. Dude, it would that would be like a dream come true.
3: Oh my god. I mean and you know we we it, and I don't know if we even got to the point where we were throwing names around you know but you're like Blacker Roses you know or some shit. But but you know the idea that we came up with man you know the more that I you know and that's it's always been on my mind. You know that I've always thought about it and it, for some reason I just can't let it go. You know what I mean? Cuz I, I just liked it so much and then to, to just know during that whole time that that I think John generally liked the idea. You know, I mean, with without him, I, I mean, I, from what I remember, he really did say, "I lo- I love it, guys."
2: Yeah. So, I mean, if if there's any listeners out there listening this and and would love to see this happen, please contact us at AstroRadioZPodcast at gmail or go to AstroRadioZ and leave me a voicemail on there or hit me up on Twitter on Facebook or whatever. Um, Cause it would it would take obviously we know how much it would take and it would probably change now because it it's out there. So maybe I'll I'll delete that little par- portion of what we just talked about about dollar bills and uh yeah, yeah. leave that a little more ambiguous. But um because I don't think I would all I all I think is that it would just take you and I a little push and yeah. uh we would we would probably go for it. But um in all in all honesty this this episode's not about us; it's about um us kind of remembering John and uh what what a nice dude he was and um kind of replaying this episode where he came on and decided to chat with a couple schmoes from Wisconsin that uh, <laughs> happened to watch black roses and uh and yeah, <laughs> roll Nightmare it's a little hard too hard much
3: for an hour. so um i felt like uh like chris like the chris farley uh when he would do when he would interview um you know like paul mccartney and shit like i just felt like i was asking him these really super nerd ass questions (laughs) we both were
2: Um, (laughs) i was re-listening to it today and uh you could tell you and i were geeking out (laughs) the whole time so um we're going, we're going to, let's, let's finish this up, Corey. And um, let's let everybody kind of check that out. Um, but it, in uh, final conclusion, final thoughts, what, what would you like to say uh, about John and uh,
3: saying goodbye? You know, I, just uh, it, for, for one, it was a, it was a pleasure to, you know, to, to, to get to know him, you know, and like I said, I, I never got to meet him in person, But I felt like I knew him. Um, uh, You know, at at one point I had sent him my 3D Black Roses cover and my uh, Rock and Roll Nightmare VHS cover and an article from Fangoria. He he signed it all, sent it back, and actually drew me a uh, a hand-drawn original picture—just a you know, just a little scribble on a note of the uh, living room demon from black roses. And he sent that all to me. And it was, it was just incredible that he would take the time to, you know, to not only come on the show and do that, but then, you know, throughout the process, you know, humor us and, and really, um, encourage us, you know, that, that, that's just what I can say about John Fasano. He was just a a kind man, a talented man, and he was an absolute treasure. And I, I will always, always, um, celebrate John and John's legacy and and his passion. Um, I I will continue to, as long as I'm around, uh, fly the flag and and, and celebrate his his life and his art and the man that he was.
2: I agree. You said, you said a lot of what I I think as well. Um, I also never met, never had the opportunity to actually meet him face to face. So it's not like, you know, we were close friends or anything like that. We were more, you know, in this day and age, Facebook friends, I mean, right. we chatted and, and, uh, obviously he came on the show. And then we actually took it to the next level and we're trying to like stir a, an actual project out of it. And the entire time, the guy was just so forthcoming and so nice and so genuine about everything that I always felt really good. Um, where, you know, when you try to, you know, take something from one level and take it to the next level, um, some people have egos, and they want to take over things and I want to bring up names, but i've been involved with other projects where we've tried to approach people that are quote unquote celebrities or or things of that nature and the, and the demands and the egos and and all of that jazz kind of take over and really like suck the energy out of you know what you the excitement that you may have had for any particular project and I never felt that way with John. I always felt like he was on the level, if if he didn't think things were were right, he would tell you if they were if he thought, you know, there was that something was good or that maybe, yeah, this is worth pursuing. He would tell you. Obviously, he he's been in the business for a long time and he made a career out of being in the business. So he obviously was smart enough to know what would fly and what wouldn't fly. Right. So it was it was a pleasure um, for the very little correspondence that I that I had with him over the course of the last couple of years um, I I it's always so strange when you actually talk to somebody that you had been you know kind of looking up to growing up and watching their work and um, to get that opportunity and to transcend that just little superficial thing um, of uh, what you know, typing on a screen and going back and forth to actually almost try and make something become a reality. It was, um, it was a very unique
3: feeling, (laughs) but, you know, and, and and to, to know somebody and, I mean, Black Roses came out in what, 1989 and Rock and Roll Nightmare, what was that? 86 or something. Mm Mm-hmm you know, so I've been a fan of John's movies since then, you know, so you, and it was the same for me with, with Ted, where you look up to these people, you admire them, you put them on a pedestal and then you get the unreal opportunity to just get to know them in some way. And to find out that they're a million times better than you could have ever expected them to be, um, is really, it's just a beautiful thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And and like you said, I also sent him some of my stuff because uh, he offered he's like, if you and you'll hear it in the episode, he offered, you know, if you want to send anything out to me, man, I'll I'll sign it. And I'll write on it and blah, 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 blah. And I sent him, obviously, my copy of Rock and Roll Nightmare. And he as well sent me an eight by 10 of behind the scenes of Black Roses with Sal and uh, signed it and then wrote a note and it drew a picture of one of the monsters from black roses. I have it framed in my office. It's been here. I look at it quite often and, uh, smile every time I look at it. Um, so just, uh, in closing, it's uh, very sad to hear a man die. So young in his life that, uh, you know, kind of was a molding and shaping figure in, uh, two schlubs from Wisconsin's artistic <laughs> endeavors. So um, hope you guys like the episode you're going to hear, because I think, you know, John is an incredibly uh, entertaining character. Um, very intelligent, very quick, very sharp, and um, he'll be missed. So uh, rest in peace, John. Yeah, Take love you, John.
4: Tonight is a uh, big show with uh, the great John Fasano. He will be phoning us here uh, momentarily, and we will be talking a little Black Roses and things, but at, and of course, Rock and Roll Nightmare. But uh, if uh, if anybody knows uh, John's body of work, a uh, very proficient writer in the in the game, and we'll, we'll find out all about uh, how he kind of got started and everything, and also um, also what he's up to now. Um, up to a lot of uh, very exciting things. So, uh, great guy. Great. Looking very it forward to it. To it to of course, of course uh, stuff. we'll that's have to talk about, about the, the Veronica Ron Mars, Mars movie, movie,
0: which is uh, <laughs>
4: ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's so annoying. I mean, and that's the whole thing with those, um, you know, Kickstarter, and Indiegogo, and all that stuff. It's like you know what, and, and everybody will point to this and say, "What? Look, what a success!" You know, of course, Indiegogo and, and Kickstarter work, and I, yes asshole. I was not a network television program for six years. Yes, seasons. exactly. And you know what I mean? So give me a break. People are sit. so shocked by it. I was
0: just like, there was like, everyone posted that damn link for Veronica Mars, and I'm like, oh,
4: really? That's a huge shocker. It got yeah. funded. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It took 30 days. I got $2 million. I'm like, well, um, it comes with a built-in audience. It's got Christopher yeah. Bell, who's basically a... Uh, a nerdgasm, uh, just uh, in human form. <laughs> and uh, so, so, you know, it's, But it, 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 well, you know, that's what it's going to be. Everybody's going to point to it and say, look, to Indiegogo, it may work for them. Jesus, i you know, and says, that's I'm for. <laughs> and well, what for. Do well, do? we do have
1: a guest on the line.
4: We have a guest on the line. Is this the great John Fasano joining it us? It is the near great John Fasano. John, thank you so much. Welcome to the show.
5: Thank you. I'm very excited to be on. I'm going to take this as the opportunity to announce my friend Jim Cameron just called me. He's doing a Kickstarter for Avatar 2. They just have to raise $300 million in 30 days. You're kidding. No problem. I I think it's a no-brainer. I don't think he's going to need 30 days. I know, and 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 the the levels are great because you give five million, and you get like a picture of Jim. But if you give like
1: five hundred
5: thousand dollars, you get a signed copy of the script. So that's really. Um, oh my god. Yeah, and and for and if you give a million, they come to your house and paint you blue, with, uh, so that you can go out for Halloween as one of those um, ridiculous knobby na- uh, characters.
0: I think one of the perks needs to be a nude pic of James Cameron yeah. as a Navi. I mean, what is the dollar amount that would be attributed to such a fine? That's a $20 million. Talk about Blue Ball. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I, have, I
5: have a lot of friends now that think that Kickstarter and Indiegogo are like, I mean, not because it's Ronica Mars thing, but for albums. And I heard that some video game geeks who had like one successful video game 10 years ago have go, had done Kickstarters and gotten millions of dollars to develop wow. another video game. Um, at some point, the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, is going to look into exactly how, why this isn't investing in the film.
1: Yeah, you know, right.
5: You can't mm-hmm. invest in a film like that. You actually have to, you know, have an, uh, you know a registered corporation, and there's nothing that says you could... I mean, I'm still waiting for my T-shirt from the Liberator, and there's nothing that says you can't give money and then never ever ever see anything. If they never make the movie, if they if they make the movie and never finish
1: it,
4: then you're not getting a DVD of it. But yeah, well, or l- they just take the money and they run or they don't even bother to make a movie. They just look right. at it. Well, a there's a lot of a like There's researchers that have been trying to fund like uh inventions and stuff like
0: that for years. It's been one of those things where I think like about 3 years ago they had some people investigating a couple guys that had taken probably, let's say, I think it was like a two million dollar uh, Kickstarter fund just just to, the startup cost to start research on a product that may never actually end up coming to fruition. Well, I I mean, I give
5: the, I'll give you the way that the way to, to make money off Kickstarter. Here's what you do: you do a Kickstarter, you say that you need ten thousand um, dollars, you get to about six thousand dollars. You put up $4,000 of your own money, you get the $10,000, and you keep the six. Right. right. The people don't. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you send them updates, uh, you know, saying the film is in development. The script yeah. is almost done. And then after a while, they forget about it. It's yeah, they one, I, that they I gave I, you $100. Did you ever see that movie, The Lady in White, with Lucas Hoth? It was a great, great movie. Yeah. That yeah. Laloja directed back in the 80s. And Charlie Lelogia, that was his uh, cousin or brother, I don't know, remember, uh, was a stockbroker in, um, what was it, in uh, like Buffalo, New York, Rochester, Rochester, that's what it was. And he actually went out and raised the money to make that movie with what they called penny stocks. Like he did a public offering on the stock market and said, We're making a movie and we're selling these stocks at a dollar a piece and raised, you know, the $2 million back then to make what was an excellent, stylish thriller that's better than most of the crap we see now. And, uh, you know, but, you know, that was terrifying to those guys because if they couldn't finish the movie, they had hundreds and hundreds of people looking for them, you know, looking to get their money.
4: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, you know, and and, I mean, how many projects are there on Indiegogo and Kickstarter and all in you know different uh, different levels of, of maybe never being completed or never seeing any uh, ever coming to fruition and you know something like this comes out and I mean it, uh, it I don't know I mean it it seems like kind of a slippery slope I have mean, I, I have, I have we'll always in my
5: career made a film for someone who asked for it I have I have never gone out and asked someone for money unless I knew they wanted the movie, right? Right. I mean, it's been my philosophy, because if 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 somebody, you know, they've got to have, a, like, a dog in this hunt. That's a mixing metaphor, right? Um, right. It's like when I did Rock and Roll Nightmare, which cost $53,000, you know, they put up $53,000. I put up everything else in terms of work and made the deals with everybody because the budget was supposed to be 100 right? I put yeah. up $50,000 in services, right? And... Uh, but I would not have gone out and got $50,000 from people that weren't a distributor that didn't know what they were going to do with it when it was done. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I, I actually don't believe in that because if somebody gives me $50,000, stupid if this sounds, I actually think I have a responsibility to get it back to them. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, you, Yeah. I mean, you feel, I mean, and that's, you know, always been the thing, you know, for, for me just personally, you know, my little level, of, you know, but I've, never felt like going out. I mean, you know, I've, I, have and, and I'm as guilty as the next guy at doing it, but I've, I've raised about 150 bucks, um, doing these, uh, <laughs> for, you know, for four movies. And, um, you know, here's your DVD and here's a t-shirt. And, yeah. Here's some shit. You know, I mean, this is about as good as it gets. But, here's, uh, here's you know,
5: okay. Here's what's really cool for the eight guys that are listening. The ones that are, eight are not masturbating, right? So the eight guys that are listening tonight, um, because I have a big fan base of masturbators that listen to me. Um, That's all ours is. The jerky yeah. squad, we call them. No, for the people that are listening, this is what's so cool about right now in history. If you have a rebel 2TI and vaguely talented friends, you can go on and a, and a Mac with, like, an editing program, you can go out and make a movie. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and make proof. a movie, and then when it's done, you can put it on... Amazon, create space. You can, you can actually, you know, when I was a kid, you made a movie in Super 8, you showed it to your family, and that was the end of it. You right. can take that level, you know, that level of execution, but actually get that movie out there. You can put it on Vimeo. You can put it on YouTube. But you could also put it on a DVD. My son, John Cody Fasano, did a, did Thor the Rock Opera. where yeah. He shot new footage of Thor with Leslie Easterbrook and Dan Roebuck. And he edited it together with all of Thor's existing rock videos. And it's on Amazon. And, you know, it's on there. And you can get it. And he finished it. You get it as a director. You know, he directed, you know, part of it and edited it together. And he's got a movie on Amazon. And so there's no excuse anymore. You don't have to even do a Kickstarter because no. you could do it. You could make a movie for 5000 You know, you call your uncle that's, got, that's a dentist He say, I need $5,000. And you could get noticed from that. That didn't exist when I was a kid. I mean, we were still using regular eight when I started out. Mm-hmm. Eight film, which was 16 millimeter film, that you shot half the movie and then you turned the roll over and shot on the other eight millimeter. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I know you well, guys that, remember that you were in, you, you were not even sperm at that point. So, <laughs> well, and you were and,
0: and at that time too, it's not like you have developing costs anymore for any of this footage that you're churning out. Uh, it's all binary. No, it's I like mean, hard. Yeah.
5: Yeah, you know, we used to shoot a movie. We'd shoot a whole weekend, bring the film to the developer, wait a week, and next weekend find out that none of it came out. Yep. Yeah. And we had to reshoot the whole thing. Now these kids. I watch these kids. They shoot one shot, and then they look at it on the back of the camera. Yes. And I'm like, "Don't look at it. Keep going." <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Don't look at it. Keep going. And uh, my 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 son John Cody. I mean, again, about my son. He just did second unit directing. Uh, some second unit directing on uh, Michael Roker's movie um, Penhurst. And oh, yet, yeah, okay. was you know, he had a guy. That was, he and this other guy went down into the catacombs of this mental institution. With a 7D and shot interstitial material for the movie that's in the movie and looks great. You know they have like a flashlight, a guy dressed like the killer, and and an, a Canon SLR, and it's in the movie. So yep. you know it's it's a different it's a different world. There's a, a I did a movie for Hallmark last year called Hannah's Law with uh, Sarah Canning from The Vampire Chronicle, Billy Zane, Danny Glover. Kimberly Elise from the Venturian candidate, right? And there was a TV move to Western for Hallmark Channel, and some of the shots in the movie—I mean, like two or three of them—I shot with a 5D Mark II, sure, like right. laying on the ground behind a, you know, water trough, and they're in the movie. And the rest of the movie is shot with a Red, and it, you know, it, it's, it's just the, the people don't get how we can get HD quality which is high, much higher quality than Zombie Nightmare was shot with. You can get HD quality, you know, with a camera that costs, you know, $600. So. Right.
4: Well, and that's yeah. even, you know, taking a look back, I mean, when you first started doing movies and things, and I remember talking to uh, Kevin Tenney, who did Night of the Demons, and he basically said, you know, that was back at a time where, you know, like you said, somebody would give you X amount of dollars to make a movie in the hopes that they were going to see a return on the investment. But you also had the pressure then at that point of proving to them that you weren't going to deliver something that wasn't going to make any money that they weren't going to see again, that it wasn't going to sell.
5: I know. And that's, that's the, you know, you got to remember that when I started out, when I did zombie nightmare and rock and roll nightmare and black roses and the jitters, there was a huge explosion in Canada uh, it was terrible. People would. Oh, no, wait, no. There was a huge explosion of filmmaking in Canada um, because they had this tax break that they gave you. Um, you shot the movie, and they didn't care if the movie was ever finished. So, so when I would, went up there, my crew was so happy because I would pay them like a dollar a day, but I would actually pay them because they had just on three movies in a row where the guy said, I'll pay you at the end, and they worked like 20 days on a film, and then the guy never paid them. So it's like I, I had this great reputation with the crews because I actually paid them. Because the big thing was deferrals. The guy would say, "Just work on my movie, and then I will pay you when I get distribution." But they didn't know that the deal was the guy got his money back in a tax shelter, whether the movie was distributed or not. So a lot of those movies, like Green Monkey and um, you know, God, I can't even. The, the The Carpenter and those movies. The original intention was to shoot them, and if they never got released, it was okay. Right. So uh, that's, that's that, what I. That's thought. really
4: not the case anymore. I mean, it's it, you know, it's now, and, and and like you said, I mean, the, the opportunities for for anybody basically to be able to go out and make a movie, get some recognition. I mean, it's a completely different ball game, um, especially somebody who's you know, like you said, isn't the, using the tax breaks or Canadian tax breaks or state tax breaks or anything like that. Um, you know, now it almost seems, I mean, and dare I say, it almost seems a little sometimes irresponsible. Well, um, well you, know, get,
0: you, you also have a lot like of that. these states, especially in like middle America, that are that are really gun shy about do, giving tax breaks to filmmakers to come in. I mean, we here in Wisconsin had a great tax incentive that brought in one Hollywood film, and then yeah. immediately afterward, the governor said, you know what, that didn't, uh, Give sustained jobs to the area. We're cutting this out completely I know, and effectively just, killed film production. Yeah, but while the other
5: states, the other states were giving money, your governor was rebating cheese. That was right. the problem. <laughs> <laughs> the movie. Once you had enough cheese for craft service, you didn't need any more cheese.
4: No, you get sick of cheese after forty right. days on a shoot. You a nice only start bathrooms last longer, but. A processed American, no, no. Yeah, it. no. No, and that's not what we do here. Boy, is that Gouda? What is that? Is that the head cheese, Limburger cheese, you know? It's all
1: cheese,
5: kinds too. of <laughs> but, but seriously, the, you know, the, the the this is all technically kind of a filmmaking and not about like, you know, this is like about raising money. But the truth is it, it takes money to make a movie that's releasable uh, in the usual case. As I said, you can make a movie for $5,000 at your friend's and just it could be wonderful, and you can release it with, with with Amazon letting you. You know, if you have a cover art and you make a, you know, a CD ma- a DVD master, um, you know, you can get your DVD on uh, on Amazon. And as far as the audience, as far as you know, the Amazon buyer knows, it's as legitimate as any movie that anyone else has got on there. So, right. so that's that's what's kind of cool. But you, you, it still takes money to make these movies, and you gotta have.
4: You know, and you got to finish them. And the one thing I always said too, you know, a lot of guys that are coming out and making movies, it's almost a matter of that you have to say if you are making a five thousand dollar movie, you have to go into it knowing that a, when you're making it, you're making a five thousand dollar movie, and b, when it's completed, it's more than likely going to be treated by an audience as a five thousand dollar movie. So you almost have to kind of know. Um, when you get into it, that your chances of, uh, you know, being the next paranormal activity or something are slim and none.
5: Uh, I'll tell you something else that's, uh, that, that that exists now that didn't exist. Like when I did uh, Zombie Nightmare, um, we had like $20,000 or $25,000 in the cast for a name. And they said, there's a list. It's Adam West, it's Leslie Nielsen, it's Lauren <clears> Green. You know, there were a bunch of guys at that time that it would come up and do one day for $25,000. And you'd shoot all those scenes in one day and cut them through the movie. Well, now SAG has an ultra-low-budget contract so that if Brian Dennehy wants to do your movie, your $5,000 movie, you can pay him $100 a day. Right. And, right. and the idea is if the film ever gets a big distribution, you got to pay him what he would have got if you know if, if he really got it. But the idea that you can go out, and I, I went on this set of this Chinese Western they were shooting in, L.A., and there was, like, Andrew Stevens and Stella Stevens and Martin Cole from The Karate Kid and uh, Fernando, La- not Fernando, Lorenzo Lamas. I mean, there was, like, 20 people there that you've seen in movies in this cast, and all of them were working for $100 a day. Wow. Because it's better than sitting home that day. Right. You know, and maybe the movie comes out good. And if the movie comes out bad, you know, no one ever sees it. <laughs> so, and you still got a hundred bucks, right? Yeah, yeah, well, a hundred bucks a day, you know, and they mean, you know, that's that's kind of astounding, you know, that's that because you know you got to remember that they every, you know, they only want Gerard Butler and uh, like three other guys, the star in movies, um, Colin Farrell continues to work for some reason, right? You know, <laughs> they, they they've got three or four guys they hire all the time. Well, all those guys that were the stars in movies in the two thousand and Nines and eights and sevens—they're not—they're not working. Right. You'd be surprised who you could get
0: to be in your little movie if a script is good, you know. So, as it I really know. It levels that playing field. I mean, it gives the little guy a chance to actually bring in some talent, some watchable talent to your $5,000 movie so you could actually push it out there. I know there are a lot of people out there that, that tend to just use it as a name on uh, on the marquee, but I mean, if you you play your cards right and you actually get somebody that's a good character actor in there, man, your production value of that film just went through the roof.
4: And you may get
5: foreign sales, and you may you, know, and you may also, what's, what's cool is that you may get actual distribution. You know, Someone may see it and say, uh, I mean, look, if you take $5,000, I mean, this is my speech to young kids that come to me and say, I've got a great idea for a short. I need $5,000 to make this short. And I say, you're better off taking that $5,000 and making a really, really low budget feature. Because if you send me a 15-minute short, I'm going to watch the first three minutes, and if there's no one famous in it, I'm going to shut it off.
4: Yeah.
5: Because the studio executive wants to see, they don't, you know, directing, you know, the shots, and, you know, I use a dolly, and I use a cam and I did a 360 degree. But the main thing that they want to see is, can you get us anybody famous in your movie, right? So if, if you could get, you know, Joel Silver's first movie that he did, did Columbia, I think it was, or NYU. Chuck McCann was the star of it. Yeah. You know, and Marcus Nispel, the the guy from Titanic the, the oh sorry, the guy from um, Pearl Harbor that isn't Ben Affleck. Who is that? I keep forgetting his name, he went to college, stay in college, soon he purchased. Um anyway, he's the star of Marcus Nispel's short that got him noticed, and he was famous at the time, this guy. And so the 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 studio says, Oh, not only can this guy kind of direct, but he can get talent to be in his movie. So right. if you go out and get, like, you know, Sherman Hemsley and John Amos and, you know, put him in your movie, someone will say, hey, this guy, you know, went out and got Jimmy J.J. J. Walker. He got all the living members of, uh, you know, Good Times back together. He's, he's <laughs> yeah. you know, He knows what he's doing. The wheels are turning. And John Amos, I saw him in day, and he looks great, you know. I just, I, you know, of all the work he did in his whole life. It's like, he's like, no, 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 Beastmaster. Yeah, yeah. Master, that's it. I'm only interested in people's genre credits. I've seen every movie ever made, pretty much, but I'm only interested in the horror films and the sci-fi films. <laughs> that's all that interests me. I'm not interested in the
4: films where people are talking or have emotions. They're boring. <laughs> and so, and so, kind of, you know, going back a little, uh, you know, back in time a little bit. How did you first get? Uh, interested in making films. What kind of sparked your interest to want to uh, become a writer-director? Well, when I was a little kid, I drew.
5: I mean, like from birth, I drew. And I was the youngest member of the National Cartoonist Society, and I did public appearances with them. And I worked with, you know, the guy that you Donde and Bruce Stark from the New- Daily News, and Don Orhek that did the gag cartoons for Playboy, and uh, Ed Goofy Miller, who drew the cast of the Friendly Ghost comic books. And I, they were all my mentors, right? And um, I drew, right? And so I figured I was going to draw. And I'm like six, seven years old, and my father takes us over to the cemetery where my grandmother and father were buried, and they're making a movie there. And, I never, never, and they're making a movie in the cemetery. And what it is was John Cassavetes was making the movie Husbands. Oh, wow. uh, the opening scene is in our cemetery in Port Washington in New, on Long Island in New York. And it turned out that John Cassavetes was like my father's best friend in high school. Ah. part. you know, it was they used to sit at. You know, was my father and John Cassavetes and a girl named Alice Mayo, who eventually married Peter Falk, because John Cassavetti said, "Meet my friend," you know, whatever. So they were in high school together. So he came back to Port Washington to shoot the cemetery scene. So I have this eight millimeter footage of little me, you know, six years old and. Ben Gazzara and Peter Falk and John Cassavetes and my father's throwing the football back and forth with them, and they're like handing me a cup of coffee and said, take a cup of coffee to Mr. you know, Mister Gazzara. And I'm a little <laughs> kid, and I, just, and I looked around and I said, this is what I want to do. And I went home and I took my father's brownie 8mm camera and I started making animated movies in the backyard, and I never wanted to do anything else except make movies. And when I'm not writing or producing or directing a movie of my own in L.A., you know, you I mean, when I first got here, now I'm tired. Uh, when I first got here, I would drive around L.A., and I'd see I'd see a, a shoot set up, because they're always shooting somewhere, you know, you'd see these signs, crew parking, and I'd park there, and I'd walk over and stand on the set in the middle of the night and watch other people make movies, because I am just enthralled by the process of it. You know, a lot of people who make movies don't love movies. That's what why a lot of our movies aren't as good as they could be? You know, right. they, they want to make movies because it's a way to make money and it's a great job and whatever else. But I mean, you know, <clears> you <throat> love movies. And when I, you know, as I grew up, I was the projectionist in the public library, and I got to show Jules and Jim, and you know, uh, the Los Aldidatos, you know, the Buñuel movie. And I and so as I grew up, I would go to the theater, the movie theater, with like two blocks from my house. I'd go in on a Saturday morning, and I'd watch the crappy Saturday morning movie, you know, one of the Legend of Boggy Creek movies, right? And I'd be yeah. in the theater all day, and then I'd, I'd stay there till they showed the nighttime movie, you know, because going home was a living hell. Uh, so, uh, you know, I I just love the whole, you know, I, I don't see as many movies in the theater these days because, you know, crowds are terrible. Everyone's on their cell phones. <laughs> You know, it's, it's, I've never people's cell phone the ringing after the sign that comes up that says, you know, silence your. They're spending millions of dollars on these cute commercials to tell you to silence your cell phone, and what people are doing is using their cell phone to text them to their friends. Look at this thing that says, don't use your cell phone. You know, <laughs> hardly. I go to the theater when the movie is like Avengers or Hobbit, where it's a movie that's big enough that I want to see it on the screen. But if it's yeah. a drama, I'll wait till it comes out on DVD, and I right bad too, because the process of going, you know, you used to be able to go to the movies and sit there all day. Now they get you out, and you've got to pay for the next movie. And you know, I'd love to go into a eightplex and see all eight movies, you know, in one day. Then I wouldn't have to go to the movies for months. But so yeah. I wait I till wait they till they till they send them to me. You know, like I'm now that I'm a big mocker, whatever that means. So, so I'm a kid. I love to make movies. I love Ray Harryhausen. You know, the first movie I saw on television. Uh, was like the Jason and the Argonauts sitting on the couch with my father. The first, you know, black and white movie I saw was The Peach from the Black Lagoon. The first TV show I saw was Batman. So right now I'm in my office and I'm staring at my wall of shelves of masks and models and props and there's 1960s Batman, Ray Harryhausen characters, and The Preacher from the Black Lagoon. I mean, my, my first three influences have really, you know, really stuck with me. To to, you know, through my whole life, and um, so I I wanted to grow up making horror movies, and I've gotten to make a few, but not as many as I'd like to. You know.
0: Well, those first that first smattering of films that uh, you were involved with, like Blood Sisters and Zombie Nightmare, and obviously. uh, your two uh, heavy metal horror films uh, that uh, we just adore. <laughs> yeah. Some of my favorite films of the 80s, to be
1: honest.
0: we are um, the two guys. I finally met you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are the two fans. Uh, we have been supporting those films for like 10 years now. So, uh, uh, Crazy my fan. wife, you know, she thinks I've spent way too much money on Rock and Roll Nightmare, but that's neither here nor there. Um, impossible. impossible. No, right, right. So what, what brought you around to finally uh, getting that opportunity uh, to start making those horror films? Well, it's,
5: it's, it's really interesting because what happened in the 80s in New York uh, was that there were a lot of guys making porn movies on 35 millimeter film, which is what they were making movie, porn movies on there, on the East Coast and the West Coast. And then this thing came out called Video, And they started making these movies. You know, guys used to make these porno movies for like $100,000 and shoot them in 35mm and put them into theaters. And when VHS really hit it, they started making these movies for $10,000. But there were companies like Real Time that did Blood Sisters that had millions of dollars of 35mm editing, sound striping, sound editing, mixing equipment. They had a whole studio they'd set up to make 35-millimeter movies. They were making porns. And they all decided to switch to horror movies because horror movies are the porn of regular movies, you know. You know somebody right. killed every eight minutes, just like someone has sex every eight minutes, you know. And it just so happened that I had graduated from college and gone to work for this company painting their movie posters, again, because of my drawing ability, right, and I painted the movie poster for *Tenement*, uh, and they were just about to start their movie *Blood Sisters*. And the script was terrible. You know, there was Walter uh, Sierra, and Roberta Finley, and Roberta's husband had been decapitated by a um, helicopter. And he was—he was the director. He directed like the snuff movie and stuff. And um, and she just took over as the director because she had all the equipment. And they were going to make this movie, and it was about, a, you know, this guy, gets, I mean, at the end of the script, this guy gets taken away by, in a, in a, with a guy's butterfly net. You know, that's how, you know, that's how she thought mental health was then. And I rewrote that script, and I was in that movie, Blood Sisters. And, um, and that started it. And then Jack Brogman came over and said, I heard that you, uh, did this movie for Walter Roberta, will you help me with Zombie Nightmare? And I wrote Zombie Nightmare and, like, co-directed it with him. Uh, and then I didn't get credit for either one of those things, right? And then I was doing... I was, you know, back in Walter Roberta's office when Lenny Shapiro came out from L.A. and he said, look, you guys can make a movie for $100,000, I'll give you $50,000, and we'll split the net. And Walter said, if you, if we each put up $50,000, we should split the gross. And, and so... Lenny left, and I called this hotel and I said, "Well, if you give me fifty thousand dollars, I'll get my father-in-law to put up fifty thousand dollars, and we'll make the whole movie." But my intention at that moment was that I would just do all the work for free right. that I would normally pay my fifty thousand dollars. So, like, I got my friend Frank Dietz and other people in to do, uh, you know, to do the prosthetics in my basement, and I went to all my high school friends and said. You can be in this movie. I'm paying $100 for the whole film for 10 days. It's like $10 a day, but they'll get you a place to sleep and eat, and you'll be in a movie that gets made and finished. And uh, I went up to Thor, because he, he had just done Zombie Nightmare with me, and uh, he had done this rock video, Knock Them Down, that I was very impressed by. And the guy, uh, Bob Conley, that put up the the crew for that movie would like give me all the crew for like 6,000 U.S. And so I figured out how to make that movie completely for, like, $53,000. And it's terrible. I mean, I know you guys love it. But you love it because of the end. Oh, my you God. You love it because of Thor's
0: jock strap. I know
5: it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it for His hair is
0: glorious.
5: I mean, it's supposed to be a pastiche of all of those evil dead kind of movies where we went to the cabin in the woods. I mean, that's why I like Cabin in the Woods, by the way, because it's a, I think it's based on Rock and Roll Nightmare. Uh, it's one of those movies where, um, you know, everybody goes to the house and gets killed. But, you know, they, I could have just had them all go to the house and get killed, but I said, no, this is going to be a play on all those movies. And, you know, people appreciated that. But, I mean, that movie cost $50,000 and was shot in seven days. It was supposed to be ten days. But after se- halfway through the seventh day, the DP said, oh, I'm going
0: home. <laughs> and, oh, uh,
5: he said a friend of mine died, and I got to go sit on a mountain and meditate. And <laughs> left off you're the, on your own. the movie unshot. So that movie, I mean, like, so we shot everything that was supposed to be left really quickly in the the second half of the last day. But you know, it was not supposed to be like an 80 minute movie with an 11 minute van scene. It was supposed to be a 90 minute movie. Uh, but everybody, you know, came out, did their thing, was we hired these girls to play the groupies. that were supposed to show us their tits. They showed up at 2 o'clock in the morning, got to the point where they were supposed to show their tits and said, the guy that hired us said, we don't have to show our tits. So all my friends from high school had to do kind of racy nude scenes, which they didn't appreciate, and I didn't appreciate because Lenny had said to me, I need eight tits. I need monsters, I need at least four songs and an album. I was like, I can do it for people. I mean, like, yeah, I understand. What it cost to make a movie in on film to say that I could do that $50,000 was like I had more balls than brains. Um, yeah. But also because we the way they used to make these movies, you'd shoot the negative, then they'd make a work print, right? you put the negative away, and then you'd cut the work print in the editing room, and mm-hmm. then an editor would go back to the negative and right. match it up to the print you cut. Well, printing the, cu- printing the print costs money. So I said, let's just take the negative and scan it into video. And I'll go edit it on my home at my house on two VHS machines. Wow. Until it's edited the way I like it. And then on each on each frame of the video, we burned the frame of that reel where the of the film was. So the except for one shot when they're walking out to the lake where it gets close to the flash frame, the negative cutter perfectly matched my VHS edit with the negative. So they're never like crazy. And we were like the first people to do it like that. And, now, and that's, now that's how they do movies. But like, um, that was really cool, but that was really cool because I couldn't afford it. It wasn't cool because I was like, I know what I'll do. I'll edit digitally because it's the future. I was like, I can't right. afford it. This is the only way to do it, you know? And, uh, and i had been so completely burned on the guys who edited Zombie Nightmare um, who used the actual n- camera negative to cut the trailer together. So oh. all the best shots in the movie are in the trailer, and then those shots don't exist in the movie. In the movie? Oh, no. <laughs> Jesus. Used the actual negative from the movie.
1: <laughs> oh, Jesus.
5: But Rock and Roll Nightmare, I mean, like, the thing about Rock and Roll Nightmare is Thor's songs are great. uh uh-huh. And the fun oh, yeah. that you have watched, like energy, if you think it's fun to watch that sequence, you should have be there. Because, you know, every time, you know, I mean, I'm, it, I, you know, I'm surprised I'm not in the movie. Because all the films I've done that have, like, concert scenes, I am, every rehearsal, right up to we start shooting, I'm on the stage. I'm singing at the top of my lungs. I'm dancing around like, a, you know, a retard with fire ants in my pants. You know, I'm like, I'm totally <laughs> There. Because it's just great. It's great. You know, when you make a movie and you have a scene like that, you know, they play back the song and everybody everybody plays to it. It's a. Uh, that's why I love. Being, I hear energy and I get all excited. You know. You give me energy. Anyway. <laughs>
0: Well, you can tell the love that you have for that music. I mean, it just, especially in Black Roses. I mean, that the, that movie, that intro, that first concert sequence is so high energy and so fun. That's what uh, I think. Those two movies have have such a fun vibe to them uh, cool. that it, it's kind of it. It definitely shows that uh, your passion really shines through. I, enjoyed, I enjoyed that
5: enjoyed whole the scene. every time I made it. Here's the thing, too. I remember this, like. Every time I made one of these movies, I didn't know if it was the last time I was ever going to work again. Right? So, I, so it was, you know. And, and, and when when uh, when we did Rock and Roll Nightmare, they had a terrible review of it in Variety, where they said it's sock puppet monsters, blah blah blah. And Frank Dietz, who grew up with me, that's in most of my movies, um, who now he's now like a documentarian and worked animator for Disney, and he called me up and he said, John, in the new Variety, there's a terrible review of Rock and Roll Nightmare, and I said. Is there a terrible review of a movie you directed in Variety today? I mean, like if, if that had, <laughs> yeah. I just like I enjoyed making those movies, and however they came out, like I've never people say like, oh, you worked on that piece of shit. It's like no, I made it. You know, like a lot of people that were in those. I I I ran into a friend of mine ran into some woman who's in Black Roses, who's living in L.A. And he said, oh, you were in my friend's movie. She goes, oh, don't remind me. And it's like, fuck you. You were in a movie.
1: Yeah.
4: You got chased by a monster. Enjoy yourself, you know? And <laughs> other than that, I mean, a movie that has – that really – I mean, did you think when you made the movies – because, you know, another thing, you can tell, A, like Derek said, you can tell you have a love of the genre, A, of, of of horror, but B, you know, of hard rock, heavy metal. But, I mean, they really, really captured, especially in Black Roses, it really kind of captured that, um, you know – you almost want to say a little bit of the hysteria that that was you know, surrounding heavy metal music in the '80s. But did you think that these movies, and I guess it's guys you know like Derek's age, my age that you know grew up in that era, saw the movies and are still, but they're still being kept alive to this day. People are still celebrating the movies. Did you ever, in your wildest dreams, think oh, you know all these years later that people would still? love Black Roses and Rock and Roll Nightmare as much as well, I mean, you know, do. they disappeared for years because there was no, when the
5: VHSs ran out, like, they didn't make any more of them. And at one point, I was up for some, to direct some movie and guys went on, the producers went online and saw reviews of Black Roses and, like, Rock and Roll Nightmare and said, to tell my manager, well, you ever had some bad reviews of his movies? You know, this is when they were, like, not available anywhere. And I was like, yeah, that's a movie I made for $50,000. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> And then, uh, and then um, the guys from um, uh, no, who, did, who did who released Black Roses? The video was it Synapse, Synapse, wasn't it? Right. So Synapse. So when the guys from Synapse went to Alan Solomon, who had the rights at that point, he's passed away since then. God bless him. Uh, they said we want to we want to put out Black Roses on DVD, or Rock and Roll Nightmare on DVD, and he said why? That movie's from twenty years ago, and they, he didn't get <laughs> that there was any value to them. And they put them both on DVD, and we did commentary tracks and gave them extra material. And, you know, like a year later, my daughter was a big fan of My Chemical Romance. My daughter, Lucia, who's like an, uh, like an indie singer up in uh, Portland. And she, they, uh, Gerard Way was signing stuff at uh, the Golden Apple in L.A. And so she went there with her mom with a co- to give him a copy of Black Roses. And he was like, Black Roses, I just saw that. <laughs> and he just watched it with his friends. So it's like a whole generation of new rock people were wa- you know, that were famous were watching Black Roses. I mean, you know, uh when I read the user reviews of my movies at four o'clock in the morning when I can't sleep, I I wanna find those people individually and break their kneecaps. But you know
4: there's still you
5: know what, there's like you said, there's still and, and the and the next issue of Fangoria has like the twenty fifth anniversary of Black Roses In it, and a whole article. They did an interview with me, and the Jitters is coming out this month. We finally figured out that no one owned it, so we just put it out on DVD. Wow. Uh, (laughs) Fred and Ray put it out through his retro Retro Video, and Marilyn Takuda came back and and did a commentary track with me. But you know, they like you said, fuck those people. We we enjoyed making those movies. We didn't like. We didn't make those movies because it was a deal. That's my point. Like, We didn't make that movie. Like, you, I watch a lot of new movies, and I can just hear the deal-making uh-huh. as I watch the movie. We'll get so-and-so in it. We'll have a scene like this. We made those movies stupidly. We didn't know, like on, on the jitters, that I had no idea that they were, there was no money for post. They, they lied to me. Uh-huh. They shot the whole movie, and when I went to edit it, they were like, there's $10,000 left. And they, it was supposed to be like two hundred thousand dollars, and so the score oh. in that sucks. And after Black Roses, which has not only the good music in it, but has a great score, right? You now? and like to, to go from that to like this tinny synthesizer thing in my last film, and it's like, you know, that's when I said, after the jitters, I looked at my then wife and I said, I'm going to California, because right. if I can't make the next level up of films, then I don't want to do this anymore. And, I, you know, I was very lucky. I didn't have any connections out here, but I came out here, and I'm still here.
4: And so how did you go from making the movies to then kind of parlaying that into, you know, what has been, obviously, a very um, prolific writing uh, career, screenplays, uh, writing a, another 48 hours, of course, uh, one of the Universal Soldier films. Um, I think uh, the Tom Berenger, The Sniper, um, a while back. How did you kind of go from you know directing the movies that you did into that career well i mean a lot of it was
5: stupidity on my part i had a print of black roses a 35 millimeter print i came i drove to la and my intention was to stay in la for three months and if i couldn't get any traction go back to my house in new york i drove across country it took about 31 hours when i got to van nuys i called my called cindy my ex-wife and I said, I'm in L.A. And she said, I sold the house when you drove out of the driveway. I was like, what? <laughs> she says, we have a 90-day closing. You have 90 days to make it. So wow. what I didn't know was I was showing up like the first week in the second week in, in November, and everybody leaves after Thanksgiving and doesn't come back till after the first of the year. So I was in L.A. going to meet Adam West manager, like anybody that you know was an agent to anyone I'd ever hired in one of these low-budget movies, anyone I was ever a pen pal with, and I was getting no, no traction because no one wanted to watch the movie. They're like a movie that costs $450,000. That's what we spend on craft service, you know. And uh, one of these people that I met said, well, if you want to direct one of these movies, you should write a spec script. And I said, well, I'm not the writer. My wife's the writer, and I'm the director. They were like, well, that's what we're looking for, writers. And what I didn't know it just had this massive writer strike. The first, you know, we had one a few years ago, but that was the first time that the writers went on strike for like you know six months, and they were looking for new writers. So I, you know, went and into my into my unspeakable apartment in Van Nuys, where I kept the mattress on the floor because you could hear AK forty seven fire at night, and I wanted to be below the windows, um, and on a little you know PC laptop. I wrote a spec script and got it to some people, and they said, we don't need any new clients. And I was like, I was ready to, you know, kill myself. And there was a woman that I met uh, named Michelle Manning. When I was up in uh, Canada, she was directing an episode of Friday the 13th, the series. And she said, let me give it to my friend. And she gave it to Walter Hill, and he read it, and he called ICM, which was his his agent, and he said, you should sign this guy. And uh, the agent read it on a Friday, and he called me Saturday morning. He said, "Come and have lunch with me." And he, he said, "I want to be your agent." And that's how it happened. It was pretty amazing, you know. And then, you know, within a year, I was writing another 48 hours, in Alien 3, and Last of the Mohicans from Michael Mann. And um, you know, I was in. I was in. You know, I was in. He sold that script for a lot of money that I wrote. They never made that one. <laughs> but i was you know once once i uh once i made that first sale i was it's like it's like when you it's like when you're a baseball manager you know you go from team to team they don't care your last team didn't didn't do very well you know so i've been i've been here ever since and i've had a movie made at least one movie made every year since 1990 which is pretty
4: good yeah, which is amazing. I mean, you, you've had a you know an obvious uh, you know success uh, throughout with everything, of course, making you know directing, writing, and as far as directing goes, what can we expect uh, from you soon in the future? Are you planning anything? Uh, you know, getting back in the director's chair.
5: Well, you know, uh, early on they asked me to direct a movie with Kid and Play. Nice. And my, I mean, like the, the first month I was here, and my man, my agent said, "You direct that movie; it's going to take a year, and you're going to make X amount of dollars. But if you write, you can make so much more money." And I wanted to be a director, not a writer, but I stupidly followed the path of the money. I say stupidly in quotation marks because I <laughs>
1: didn't make a lot of
5: money as a writer. Um, so in the last few years, when I was doing a lot of TV movies. I would say, well, if we're doing three of these TV movies. I, I get to direct one. Uh, one of the problems with the, a, with a lot of these TV movies is they shoot them in Canada, and if I write them, I can't be the director because the Canadian law is if you want, no. your, if you want your tax break, one or the other people have to be uh, – if you have an American director, you have to have a Canadian writer. Okay, so Right. right? Uh, so I have directed a couple of these TV movies. I use Thor in both of them. Uh in uh in um the uh, a family lost and also murder in the presidio i brought Thor back for both of those because uh, he's great yeah he's a person and uh he did great in in those things and he did a musical number in murder in the, in the presidio which was great he did a we did a rock video of it um and uh and i'm going to i've been signed to direct a movie in china actually that's going to be shot. One third in China, one third in Thailand, and one third in South Korea. If they're not a big nuclear burning hole before we get there, uh, it's a romantic comedy. But it's a romantic comedy that's a, uh, associated with animation, and uh, so that will be that will be fun. That'll be the next thing that I direct. But I've also got Sniper Five starts shooting, um, and the uh, the movie of Saints Row, the video game that I wrote, which is being done as an
4: animated. Movie. Um, so it's really it seems like a lot of things that you love. I mean, as far as filmmaking and of course uh, you know directing and writing, but also animation. It seems like everything's kind of coming together in a couple of these new projects.
5: Well, you know, I, I'm always looking to do like you know it's like I did that web series of Woke Up Dead with John Heater, which was a which I was writing as a feature that I was going to have as a feature. It's about a guy that you know, college student who wakes up and he's turning into a zombie and how he deals with it, and it's actually some scientific thing beyond being a zombie. And uh, I just happened to mention it to a producer, and he said, well, we need something for a web series just before the writer's school went on strike against web series um, uh, yeah. for, for for nine months. But when it was over, we did it, and, uh, you know, it's out on DVD as a movie. Um... I You know, I would say, if anybody out there wants to see, uh, I mean, you know, I have a book out called Placemats that's on Amazon. That's a book of my art, but it's got my storyboards from the Jitters and Black Roses in oh, it. Cool. Not all of them. I want to do a book of those. But, like, if you want to see the thought process of how some of these movies got made, you can see the actual storyboards I drew for Black Roses and the Jitters in this book, which is available on Amazon. It's my commercial for the day. Um, and, um, you know, I'm trying to get a sequel to my Hannah Western off the ground. We we're, were talking about a sequel. You know, I did The 11th Victim, which was a murder thing based on the novel sure. by Nancy Grace for a lifetime that was on a couple of months ago. We are trying to get a sequel to that going. So, I mean, I have a lot, not on wood. I have a lot going on. Uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, you know, my, my heart is still in directing because like drawing, you create something and you get to see it. You know, you get to see it finished. So I've been very lucky to have a lot ha worked with a lot of directors who directed my movies the way not the way I would, but the way I wanted them to come out. And I've had a lot of movies that came out like crap. I mean big movies they spent a lot of money on. Uh because the directors didn't want to direct that movie.
1: You
4: yeah. know there's
5: a thing there's a thing in, in LA where when you need a job as a direct, like I don't take a job even as a writer if I don't have an interest in the subject matter, but guys that want to direct will sometimes say, well, I'll direct that movie, but I'll make it into what I want.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: And then, And then so, you know, or they become obsessed with one facet of the movie. Like they get obsessed with like the art direction and the actors are just left, you know, standing
4: there holding their dicks. So, yes, yeah, no, even the story is well. completely forgotten. But at least you know the background looks nice.
1: Yeah,
5: and so, but you see every, you know every actual movie, and like as I said, I've had at least one movie made, an average every year since I started, and um, getting one movie made is a miracle. If you go on IMDb, and look for the look at a lot of people where they've got like one credit as a writer, they had one movie made. They worked their whole lives they had one or two movies made. So I've had an incredible life that all started with Rock and Roll Nightmare. It started because, I mean, you know, Rock and Roll Nightmare cost $50,000, but it made like $400,000 in sales. Yeah. And then Shapiro, Lenny Shapiro said, well, now we're going to give you $400,000 to do Black Roses. And what we were saying before about the, the about the time, there was this guy, uh, nobody heard of him since then, Al Gore, um, <laughs> and he and his wife, Dipper, <laughs> always looking for, like, a a cause, you know, anti-smoking, whatever. Then they found out he owned tobacco farms, Uh, you know. But they were totally into that heavy metal was the music of the devil. Some kids had committed suicide, right? Yeah. Someone's album. They talked about backwards masking. And so when we made Black Roses, I mean, Cindy was like, let's make a movie where they really are the band of the devil. Yeah, that's the cool part. And wrote a great script. And we wrote it entirely, as a, we did it entirely as a psychological thriller. There were like no monsters in it till the end. And Jim Glickenhaus, who directed The Exterminator and, you know, uh, Shakedown, right? You know, he's a multi-gazillionaire. And, you know, he looked at the film and he said, John, it's too long and no- nobody gets killed on screen. And I said, yes, but it's psychological. And he said, cut out 10 minutes and add more because I, of course, was so judicious with my money. I had finished like $35,000 under budget. So the opening concert and Vinnie Pastore being eaten by uh, the speaker and the girl rubbing her tits and things burning in the streets and uh, a lot of that stuff we shot in my house in New York and cut it into the movie, Um, you know, the, uh, the endless tit rubbing scene. You know, interestingly, the, there's three different girls playing that girl's tits in the movie. The <laughs> girl had very small tits. Um, and the, the script called for her to show them all the time. And so some, you know, we'd hire, like, strippers or prostitutes to play the scenes where they'd show her breasts.
1: Yeah.
5: just show her breasts. Just a little side note, for the people that could now go out and rent black roses and look for the name the three different breasts of uh <laughs> <actually>. <laughs> Still
4: framed by never frame by frame on the D V D. No, I've i personally never done that.
5: <laughs> never looked like it. I mean one of the girls is like a heroin addict and you let and her tits are like all veiny and everything and it's like eh, okay, rub <laughs> them. We'll turn you th- into th- a monster. Same job prosthetic. But uh, I mean like you know one of the great I'll tell you one great you have time for one great you have three minutes left, I gotta get up the phone. Uh, okay. one great Black Rose story is when we shot the concert scenes that are in the movie in Mill Basin, we were shot at in the movie theater where they were showing Robocop and we would wait till they showed Robocop for the night and we'd watch we'd all go in and wait in the audience and watch Robocop for the last showing. Then they put the lights on and we'd set up all of our equipment and they'd show Robocop one more time. Just <laughs> playing on the screen while our lights were on, right? We'd, we'd work all night, and in the morning, before the show started again, we'd take everything. And at the end of the week, the guy that owned the theater said, You know, I wasn't making any money showing Robocop. You could have just had the whole place for another 150 bucks. Like, we could have just shot during the day, oh. shot out the theater, but we waited every night till he showed Robocop to a minuscule audience and shot all night long instead. But again, great music on stage. Sal was great. I wanted Thor to play that part, obviously. He yeah. And was to finish the trilogy, you know, with Thor. And I, at that point, I thought I would never make a movie without him. Um, but you know, a, his ex-wife now, but at the time, she was like, "No, you know, you could have your own movies," and like was telling him that he would. Uh-huh. You know, he didn't have to be in my movies anymore, which is sad. And took us, you know, I didn't talk to him for years and years and years. Oh, uh, wow. But as I said, when I reconnected with him when I was doing my TV movies, I used him in every one of them because he's really, he really is a great guy. And he saved our ass on Zombie Nightmare because the original guy, you know, we fired him and and John Thor came in and played the zombie. Um, there's two different zombies in that movie, it clearly, because one of the guys looks completely different. But Thor came up and did that and saved our ass, and I'm the kind of guy that if you save my ass on the film, I'll use you forever. So. Now,
0: did Definitely. you ever get it get to uh, to be involved? I, I see that you're credited as an executive producer on the second Rock and Roll Nightmare, but I mean, were you ever approached about being involved in that, or was that just a, something that Thor decided he wanted to do?
1: No, they
5: did that entirely without me, and then I said. And then they said, "Well, can we can we put your name on it because you did the first one?" And I said, "Any um, because I was wanted to help. I said, do do whatever
4: you want. Do whatever you want. <laughs> Feel free, go crazy. What about a Black Roses two? Is this something I should hold my hand over my ass for? A Black Roses what? Part two? Uh, no, I'd much rather make Black Roses for
5: like five million dollars now. I'd much rather t- make the same movie. Um, yeah, redo it, update it. Let's and- redo it. You know."
0: Let's a get a kickstarter know, uh,
5: going.
4: What is that? Let's get a kickstarter going for this.
0: You know what? Uh,
5: I am announcing the kickstarter <laughs> to make the sequel to Black Roses. I'm raising 5 million dollars. <laughs> and I'm going to use Enrico Colantoni, was the dad on Veronica Mars, yes, to play to play uh, Matthew Millhouse. And any fan <laughs> A Veronica Mars that wants to also donate to our Kickstarter for Black Roses 2 is absolutely uh, welcome. The first $10 is already there. I'm, I'm putting in my $10. $20. Right. And remember, for $5,000, you get an executive producer credit, and I'll fly to your house and have uh, ravioli with you.
1: <laughs>
5: awesome. Out of a can. No, no. Although the stuff out of a can is great, if it's the beef ravioli, no actual ravioli. There must be ravioli in Wisconsin <laughs> somewhere. I yeah, There's yeah, we'll find it. <laughs> All right. I, I hope I gave somebody some useful information.
4: No, absolutely no. I mean, we we really appreciate you coming on the show. Like I said, we're both huge fans of the movie. Totally, um, you know, and it's it's been a, a pleasure to have you on. So, where, um, you know, go ahead and, and you know and, and plug away. Where can people find you? Where can they find more information about what you're up to? Well, they should course, go uh, on They should go on Amazon
5: and put in my name and buy everything that comes up. Perfect. Uh, at DVD and Blu-ray. You should have the, you should have all these movies on DVD and Blu-ray. The Jitters, coming, the Jitters is coming out this month, and it's the only time you'll ever be able to see The Jitters on a Halfway Decent DVD. Uh, you should get my book, Placemats. You should get my novel, Evie and the Golem, that's on Amazon as well. Uh, I mean, Basically, they should, they should just head to Amazon, and, and I track the sales. So I will be able to tell if this appearance got me. And, and you guys have to buy Placemats because you will love to, to see those Black Roses storyboards and oh, yeah. see how hard I worked to try to make the film look just like them. So,
4: Well, I actually had one more question. The cover, so, so I mean, I'm guessing this was something the distributors came up with, but the cover art that was kind of raised up to 3D, that you would push and it would play the song, whose idea was that? That was the distributor's idea, and that was
5: genius. Oh, it was yes. remarkable.
4: Absolutely. Absolutely remarkable. Fucking
5: genius. The 3D, th- they, did, they did two... DVD, do two CDs in the day, and we talked about doing when when uh, Synapse did the DVD, we toyed with doing a 3D cover
0: like that, like a like oh. a cover, and they just were did like, they have you know, a lip case that was 3D though. I mean it was it was like an embossed thing where it was it
4: it wasn't necessarily like one of those you know turn. It wasn't the whole thing. case. It was yeah. It was it was like something. It was almost like a like it was stuck to the front.
1: Yeah, you no,
5: know, it was a separate vacuum-formed plastic version of the poster, glued yeah. on the front of the frickin' uh, on the front of the frickin' VHS. But it was too expensive to do in the modern DVD, and uh, they were probably afraid that they were not going to sell enough to make up for the difference. So.
4: Yeah, for the printing on it. I mean, and I'm telling you right now, if you've got a box of those things, you can go on eBay. Those things are going for like 50 bucks a piece now.
5: Well, again, as you know, get get on get on eBay, get on Amazon. Uh, anybody that buys something that I directed and wants to send me this lip case uh, through you guys, and I'll sign it and send it back, and they'll have an officially John Fasano-signed DVD or VHS of their favorite rock and roll, heavy metal, comedy horror film. So,
4: Does that go uh, for yeah. the
5: uh, host of the program as
4: well?
3: The host
5: of the program, you, you know, because that way I can tell what you actually own. <laughs> you say you're big fans, but I won't know till, till I do the signing. Then I'll know if you're telling you the truth.
0: Well, okay, John, I'll buy two more copies of Rock and Roll Nightmares if I haven't bought enough copies of the damn movie already. But for you, <laughs> I'll buy two and, more oh, okay, so for And for you host guys, I
5: will get Frank Dietz and Jim Sorrell, who played Stig, to sign your Rock oh. and Roll Nightmares DVDs as well. <laughs> uh,
1: you beautiful, look, and beautiful you are not thing. getting
5: that
4: deal anywhere on earth. So <laughs> That's pretty sweet. Finally, this show gets me a perk. Yes, yes. But I,
0: uh, groupies, groupies are one thing. But fuck it, I'd rather have this this signed copy of Rock and Roll Nightmare.
5: I have to tell you that I've had groupies and I've had signed DVDs, and signed
4: <laughs> DVDs are much better, much cooler. <laughs> signed DVDs last forever.
5: They do, they do, man.
4: And <laughs> heroin go? junkies, <laughs> nah, not interested. <laughs> and of course, uh, coming out next month, like you said, a, uh, a Black Roses retrospective in Fangoria magazine, and uh, those Sons of Guns will get another ten dollars of my money for that.
5: Well, you know, yeah. what's interesting is they did a great article on when we were shooting the movie, like a great like eight page six page article about shooting Black Roses, and uh, and I was so pr- I'm so proud of Black Roses. It's one of my favorite movies that I've done, and then they later on a couple of issues later. They had a review, and I, in fact, I was so happy with their coverage. I went to a store and I bought Fangoria One up to the date of that, like the ones I didn't have, so I would have every fangoria. Then, when they actually reviewed Black Roses, they completely fucked it and then it was <laughs> it. and I was like, you know this big stack of fangorias, and I was like, "I will never buy Fangoria again, but I guess I have to buy it this month
4: see it it it, it on a on a much Smaller level, I, I have the same kind of relationship uh, with Fangoria. I did I did my first, and, of course, somebody, I don't know who the hell it was, but somebody said, hey, uh, you know, the people at Fangoria, they're always looking for, you know, independent movies to review. You should send them your movie. And I thought, Jesus Christ. They said, I've read Fangoria since I was a kid. You know, I mean, my parents never bought me one, but I used to, you know, sit at the grocery store, page through it, and when I was lucky enough to get one, I'd wear it out, and the staples would fall out. And I'm like, okay, I absolutely have to send the movie to them. And waited, 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 never heard anything. You know, never really thought they'd watch it, review it. And the guy reviewed it, and it was just, uh, it was terrible. Uh, it was uh, very, uh, <laughs> the worst review you could ever uh, potentially have. Basically said it wasn't a movie, that it was something looked like it was shot in a day with uh, a bunch of friends and this and that. And so then since then, I haven't uh I haven't been a big proponent of Fangoria, but they they keep uh, putting out like really great, interesting, uh, you know, retrospectives, articles, and things uh, every now and then. And of course, this one is one that I absolutely will buy. But just know that it's only because of Black Roses; it's not because of uh, any other reason. I appreciate that. You guys, we, you guys, uh, I will, I will uh,
5: message you my address, and and uh, I want you to send me the films you made.
4: And the films I made, and I'll sign them and send them back to you. Done. That's a done deal. John Fasano, ladies and gentlemen, I really thank you so much for uh, taking the time. Please come on again sometime. We'll do this again soon. When I have something coming uh, coming out that's cool, we'll, I'll call you back.
0: Perfect.
4: Awesome. Sounds great. And everybody, of course, go to Amazon. Check out uh, John's books that he has there, all the movies. And, of course, Fangoria coming out next month with a Big Black Roses retrospective. The Jitters coming out on DVD, first in line for that one. John Fasano, yes. uh, bless your heart. Thank you so much, and thank you for the movies, man. I mean, we, we, you know, and Derek and I as fans, and me especially, you know, growing up uh, you know, a kid of the 80s and the heavy metal scene, you know, I, I really appreciate the movies, and I wanted to uh, personally thank you. Well, I, I want to personally tell you I'm touched. Appreciate it. John Fasano, ladies and gentlemen, our guest on Astro Radio Z. Thanks a lot, John. Thank you.